Contrology. The Pilates Method. The method, the work. However you want to describe it, it is the brainchild of German creator and inventor, Joe Pilates. Hello everyone, I'm Darian Gold. Thanks so much for joining us on All Things Pilates. The feet, ugh, love them or hate them, we are stuck with them. You know, many people have experienced foot pain and may not know what to do about it, but Joe Pilates understood what to do. In fact, he invented two small devices to help correct the feet, the foot corrector and the toe exerciser, or sometimes referred to as the toe gizmo, were designed to strengthen and make supple the very foundation of our skeleton. I've asked our guest today, Karen Moran, a physical therapist, to explain from her perspective how the feet play a major role in developing and maintaining a healthy, functioning body. Karen is the founder and CEO of Fusion Arts Physical Therapy in Los Angeles, California, where she specializes in dance medicine. Theaters such as the Pantages, the Amundsen, Mark Taper, and various other theaters in the Los Angeles area have employed Karen to keep their performers healthy. In addition, Karen has treated professional dancers in companies such as Los Angeles Dance Project, Los Angeles Ballet, and Hubbard Street Dance. Hello, Karen. Welcome to All Things Pilates. Hello. So great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me here. Karen, you treat many dancers and performers. Are there specific foot issues that seem to plague them? Yes, there are many different types of issues. There's a condition called posterior tibial tendonitis, which is pain on the inside of the foot and ankle. Hallux valgus, which is also known as a bunion. Achilles tendonitis, and occasionally I do treat dancers who have had an Achilles tendon rupture. Ooh. A cuboid subluxation, which uh, that's a condition where when dancers come to me, they'll tell me that they have pain on the outside of the foot, and they've suddenly noticed that they don't, that they're wobbly in relevé. Uh, that generally is a drop uh, or a sublux cuboid, and um, it's a very simple condition to treat. Flexor halysis tendonitis, which is uh, occurs in dancers which uh, overly grip in their toes on relevé. I have a lot of young dancers who do that. That will present itself as an Achilles tendonitis, but it's really the flexor halysis longus that's the problem. Some dancers have pain over their metatarsals on the top or the bottom of the foot. And then I treat things like ankle sprains, ankle fractures, sesamoiditis, which is pain on the bottom of the foot, and that uh, over the first, the head of the first metatarsal. I generally see that in dancers who have character shoes that maybe they don't have adequate toe extension and perhaps the character shoes are too high and it's placing pressure on the ball of the foot. Yes. I treat uh, some dancers, younger dancers, mostly adolescents and teenagers who have a condition called, called an ostrigonum. And an ostrigonum is basically an accessory bone in the back of the ankle. 
and it can present as an Achilles tendonitis, but it's generally painful when the dancer goes up on point. And typically when I see them in the clinic, I'll treat the ankle, restore their point, they leave, they come back and they've lost the point again, and they have pain deep in the ankle joint. And that's generally a condition called an ostrigonum, and oftentimes they'll have to go for an MRI to confirm that diagnosis. It sounds like the Achilles tendon plays a big role in people coming to you and presenting with something else, but they're feeling it at their Achilles tendon, right? Absolutely. So it's important to do a thorough assessment to rule out which condition it is. So your assessment would be what? A very comprehensive evaluation. So my assessment would be looking at many parts of the foot. I would look at the mobility of the first toe and how well a person can extend that toe. I would look at the midfoot and the mobility of the midfoot as well as the heel. I would look at the ankle all the way up the chain. I would also look at flexibility deficits as well as any type of strength deficits and then develop a program based on what I find. So it's really comprehensive and it's looking at the ankle foot all the way up to the hip. And obviously, unless they're really, really injured, you watch them walk because the gait sort of tells the tale? The gait can tell the tale, yes. So I watch them walk. Uh, I will often ask dancers to come in and I'll do a point assessment if they're having issues with their point. I'll look at the shoe. I'll look on the wear of the shoe. I'll look at the wear of the shoe. I will also do a jump assessment to take a look at the lower extremity alignment and see if there are issues there. Uh, so there are many types of screenings I do when I do the evaluation. You have both ballet dancers and then jazz dancers who wear character shoes, but then you must have also modern dancers who usually just are barefoot, correct? And that presents perhaps other challenges. I treat all dancers, hip hop, modern, jazz, uh, tap dancers, flamenco, tango, ballroom, so many styles of dance. When it comes to being barefoot, I look at the flooring Many dancers are asked to dance on different types of flooring. There are not the proper types of floors for them to dance on. I've had injuries occur where a person's foot has gotten stuck on the floor that's caused either an abrasion on the foot or an actual fracture of the metatarsal. I had a young dancer that that happened to recently where her foot was stuck on the floor as she was doing a turn, and she ended up with a very serious injury that not only fractured her foot but actually caused a a cut in the foot where she was bleeding and she had to be taken to the emergency room. What about that knee? Did it impact the knee? It did not impact the knee, but oftentimes if you stick on the floor, absolutely it can create knee injuries. So then you can end up with a meniscus tear, or a medial collateral ligament tear, which is a tear of the ligament on the inside of the knee. Uh, depending on the type of torque, it could cause a tear of the anterior cruciate ligament. So yes, uh, flooring is a big deal. I hope all the producers out there are listening to you because I remember when I was dancing and I was doing some dance work in different films, they didn't really care about the surface. I think we danced on cement and then some kind of flooring that had cement underneath. It is very painful. Your feet were always on fire. 
Yes, flooring is a really big deal. And, you know, when, when tours are coming through different states as well, you're dealing with different types of stages. You're also diff dealing with altitude. And, you know, if, uh, if an area is humid, you're dealing with condensation in that area. You know, if it's dry, you're dealing with all different types of things when you're traveling. So, but the stages are a big deal. For example, the Pantages, it's built on a steel stage so um you know if dancers are dancing in that type of surface when you're down here it's not as it's not a sprung floor well a lot of companies will bring in flooring for themselves but the actual stage itself is built on steel that's interesting but doesn't the pantages offer lots of performances and shows that require dancers absolutely and again many 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 shows that come in and bring their own flooring and it does have a good flooring, but when you're downstairs, you can definitely hear the impact when they're jumping and landing. If you had one or two suggestions for dancers to help keep them healthy and avoid foot and ankle injuries, do you have any suggestions? I have many suggestions. Oh, good, let's hear them. <laughs> one suggestion would be to always warm up before performance. That means doing cardiovascular exercises or doing what's called dynamic stretching, which is stretching through movement. That can be looked up on the internet. It's a very efficient way of warming up before performance. I don't really recommend static stretching before performance, which many dancers do. When you do sustained stretches prior to performance, you potentially can overly lengthen a muscle, which can then set it up for an injury. So the best thing to do is do cardiovascular beforehand or the dynamic stretching and then do static stretching afterwards because now you've danced, you've shortened the tissues. Most dancers leave the theater or leave the performance without stretching. They go home, they wake up, they're now waking up to that shortened length of that muscle. They go out and dance again and eventually that sets them up for injuries. So it's really important for them to do cardio beforehand, dynamic stretching beforehand, and then static stretching afterwards. But also making sure you're properly hydrated, properly fueled, eating the proper foods so that your body has the fuel necessary to do the movements, to do the dancing. I often find that sometimes dancers can be in situations where they are asked to rehearse over and over and over again for many hours at a time and they're not given the proper type of nourishment that they need. Or they're asked to do that one last jump when they're tired after 12, 13, 14 hours of let's say being on set and they wanna make someone happy so they do that last jump. Yeah. And I can tell you that 90% of the time that's when the injury occurs and that's when I get them. Yes. We are people pleasers at the core. <laughs> yes. What about just for the feet? Someone could do feet exercises. If they, if they didn't have the foot corrector or the toe exerciser, there's something with the rubber band, right? There are some exercises with the rubber band. So I will, exercises that are good exercises to just work on foot strength, for example, using a TheraBend over the bottom of the foot, and then starting with your foot in a flexed position, pushing down and then pushing the toes down without curling the toes. That's an intrinsic foot strengthening exercise. 
You can use a TheraBand, you can use a blown up squishy ball to do that. You can also do what's called toe swapping or piano playing where you lift the arch of the foot or dome the foot and then lift the big toe without moving the ankle and then lift the other toes without moving the ankle so that you're really working on strengthening the actual arch itself. I often give dancers TheraBand exercises around the inside or the outside of the midfoot while they're doing releves. This works on proper ankle and foot positioning. So oftentimes if there's a dancer that's sickling or winging, if the band is on the inside of the foot, it will cause the, it can potentially cause the foot to sickle. So the dancer has to work on really maintaining equal weight over all the metatarsals to, to maintain proper foot and ankle alignment. If they wing, then you'd place the band on the opposite side. Okay, I'm trying to visualize this. The dancer is standing up. Yep. They're going to go into releve on one leg or both legs? So they go up into releve on both legs. Where is the TheraBand? The TheraBand is around the arch of the foot. Underneath? Yes. They're holding on to the TheraBand with their hands? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. There are many ways to strengthen the foot musculature. You can use a TheraBand around the ball of the foot, flexing the foot, then pointing the foot with the toes extended, then pressing the toes into the band without curling the toes. This is a really good way of strengthening the toe intrinsics. You can also use a squishy soft ball, a, a medium-sized ball to press your toes in as well. Or you can place your foot on the ground and do what's called doming, lifting one toe, then the other toes without moving the ankle and keeping the arch lifted. This also is a very good exercise to do to strengthen the intrinsic muscles of the foot. I find that many of my younger dancers have difficulty doing this, so I'll start them with the TheraBand exercise first and then work them toward the toe swapping. With respect to the ankle and foot, I will ask them to do releves on both feet, place the TheraBand around the inside of the arch, and do releves. The opposite side of the band can be attached to a piece of furniture that doesn't move, so a table or a bed, something that doesn't move while they do the releve. When the band is on the inside of the foot, it'll try to pull the foot into a sickle. So the dancer has to really focus on maintaining equal weight in all the metatarsals. So therefore they're maintaining good foot and ankle alignment. They can then place the band on the outside of the foot around the arch, do a releve. This will try to push them into a wing. Again, the dancer can then focus on maintaining equal weight on all the metatarsal heads and focus on good foot and ankle alignment. Okay, it sounds great. I just have one question. The TheraBand that's, let's say, on the inside of the ankle, because you're trying to keep the ankle from pronating, correct? Or fa fa falling. Are you holding onto the TheraBand? One, one end is attached to, let's say, a, a Cadillac pole or bed leg, and the other end, is that being held by the hand to create the resistance? One end of the band is around a piece of furniture, a table, a bed, the other side, so it's tied. Yes. 
the other end of the TheraBand is placed around the arch of the foot, the inside of the foot. Oh. So you can do that. And then, of course, you can turn around, and now the band is on the outside of the foot, and they can releve. So, it, you know, it strengthens as well the posterior tibialis, which is a muscle on the inside of the ankle, the peroneus longus, which is on the outside. It works on proper form with releves, and it forces the dancer to maintain good ankle and foot alignment by looking in a mirror and just seeing what they're doing. Or not. They don't have to look in a mirror. They can just look down to look at their foot. Or just feel it. As yeah, dancers feel are, it. Dancers are very sensitive to their bodies. Yes, they are. And actually, that's, this is a good point because I, also, I, oft, I often feel that dancers should also, a lot of dancers like looking in the mirror when they're doing things. And I think that's okay initially, but I really think it's important to also practice things without looking at themselves so that their bodies kinesthetically can live the movement and understand the movement without actually seeing it visually. I agree completely. Karen, what moved you to want to be a physical therapist? I started out getting an undergraduate degree at UCLA in kinesiology. At that time, I did take ballet and jazz uh, at school. I then became, when I graduated, I decided to become a physical therapy aide at a hospital where I was asked to become a traction technician. Through that, I started observing surgeries and setting up tractions in the surgeries. And that's where my love of orthopedics really grew, was being able to see the, you know, it was a tremendous opportunity to see those surgeries. From that, I then decided to go to physical therapy school because I realized that that truly was my passion. I also loved neuro, but I really, really loved orthopedics. So that's the path that I chose to pursue. Orthopedics is the the study of the bones and how the bones relate to the muscles? Yes. It's the study of the joints, of the bones, of biomechanics. It's it's everything. So it could be ankle, foot, knee, hip. It's basically different parts of the body, sports injuries, dance injuries, all of that. Then how did dance medicine show up? I had the opportunity. I tried uh, to work in many clinics. I'm very right-brained and physical therapy is a very left-brain world. I worked in many clinics where I didn't quite feel that it fit for me. I then started working in a physical therapy practice where they did Pilates and she worked with dancers. And I realized that that was my love. That's where, that's what lit up my spirit. That's what lit the fire. That's what filled my soul. And from that, I ended up working at one other clinic and then forming Fusion Arts Physical Therapy I really, really wanted to create a practice where I could create individualized care for each dancer and where they really felt like they were getting what they needed. And my clinic is really a boutique practice, so I was able to do that. So that's how the dance medicine started. And that's actually through the one clinic that I went to that uh, focused on dancers. That's where I learned a lot about Pilates. And I had the opportunity to then train through Ramana classically. I then went on to take all the courses through Polestar so that I could kind of learn new ways of doing Pilates as well. 
and not sticking to one rigid model. Because being a physical therapist, I really wanted to have many different styles to treat my patients. Is dance medicine a, a newer practice or an offshoot of the overall physical therapy profession? No. So dance medicine, I think, has come to the forefront in the last five to 10 years. I don't think there was much of a focus on it. When I first became a physical therapist, there wasn't a huge focus on it. There was a small number of physical therapists who were doing dance medicine through an organization called the International Association of Dance Medicine and Science. There has been much more education out there. And that that particular association is now growing. It's huge. And these are physical therapists, MDs, podiatrists, dance educators, dance teachers, choreographers from all over the world, psychologists who come together and present research and literature and interactive courses for practitioners who choose to be there. So it's thanks to them, I think that dance medicine has really come to a forefront and there has been much more research done through many of my colleagues uh, throughout the country. I love that. It's helpful because dancers are sometimes the unsung heroes. They are the unsung heroes and the most elite of all athletes, in my opinion. Yes. They work very hard, unlike any other athlete. In the theater, they are working, doing rehearsals every day before a show. Then they do previews and rehearsals during the day. So it's many, many hours of dancing until they finally do the opening of the show and then they have their days free, you know? And then, and then of course, with dancers, you also have to include travel days and it's really hard on many dancers. And you have to stay in condition 24 seven. You really do. Absolutely. And this gets back to eating well, sleeping, getting good hydration, you know, preparing before performance, all of that, you know, it's really about injury prevention. And I think if a dancer doesn't take care of their body, this is their tool. If they don't take care of it, eventually it's going to break down just like a car. If you don't take care of a car and maintain a car, eventually it'll break down. Dancers have to take care of their bodies. It's their only way of expressing what they do. It's their instrument. Absolutely. Pilates apparatus. Which ones do you have at your practice? I have the pivot discs. Oh, explain what that is, because uh, maybe many people don't know, including me. <laughs> I have the discs that rotate, so I can really work on their turnout with flat feet, with, you know, on their, on their foot, on the arches of their feet. I can also work on turning out on, in releve. I can work on single leg stuff. I can use the pivot disc to challenge the balance and coordination on a chair by putting it on the top of the chair if they become more advanced. So they have to hold the position while actually doing going up front on the chair. Ooh. So I use the pivot discs. I also have something that's not Pilates based. Uh, they're called functional footprints that were designed by a physical therapist. Jean-Claude West. I'm not sure who designed those, uh, to be honest with you. Okay. But I do like them because the functional footprints, what they do is they not only work on turnout, but they teach dancers where their weight placement is. So they're designed to tip forward or backwards. So if a dancer is putting too much weight forward, you'll hear the scraping on the wood. 
And so you can teach them about where their center is when they're doing their turning out. As you know, dancers need to have strong feet for jumping. Do you use the jump board? I'm assuming you have a reformer. Do you use the jump board? Yes. Uh, and getting back to the other equipment that I have, have a reformer, a Cadillac, a combination chair, a spine corrector, and the small arc, in addition to the pivot discs. With respect to the jump board, I, I love the jump board. I use the jump board to train dancers that have had injuries where they can't jump on land because of their body weight. So I'll start training them using one or two springs as resistance to just try to work on their articulation of their foot, how they land. I can watch how they land with both feet, one foot. I can also see where there might be asymmetries or a weakness that I need to work on and give them strengthening exercises. I'll seek weaknesses in their core. I'll teach them how to use their core and their body efficiently. Many younger dancers will use the jump board and push from the jump board to jump instead of using their body efficiently. So what I'll see with those young dancers is the reformer will just start to slowly scoot across the floor. So I'll teach them that that's really not something that should be occurring. They should really be utilizing their musculature much more to do the jump. Do a lot of those dancers go right from their quads? opposed to articulating immediately from the ankle joint. Yep. They do. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and I also use the jump board with young dancers or professional dancers who have had a surgery or an ankle sprain that have difficulty going up on point again, you know, against gravity. So I'll use the jump board. I'll have them put their point shoes on and I'll actually work on the point work on the jump board so they can begin to kind of do, do the movement. Oh, without the pain. And then I can also look at their placement if there are any deviations that I need to do corrections on and then eventually work them toward land again. Are their arms straight down on the carriage or are they are the arms in second? It can be either. So there's no particular way. Uh, sometimes it's straight down on the carriage. Sometimes it's in second. It just depends. Do you ever use light weights if the arms are in second? Yep, because I find that many dancers have weak upper extremities. So I often, when I train them, if I'm doing core strengthening, will place weights in their hands to help them get a little stronger. And not to bulk them out. They're lightweights, one or two pounds at the most. Well, I imagine that it gives you a great deal of pleasure when someone comes to you injured and then you help them heal the injury Will you share one of those success stories? Absolutely. My greatest pleasure is to be able to work with a dancer and to see them get, come in thinking that this is it. This is the end of their career. Uh, emotionally, it's a huge impact on them. And to be able to walk them through and to help them realize that they can do what they love to do again is really incredibly rewarding, not only for myself, but for the patient who realizes that they can continue on in their career. A success story, I had a dancer who was at Juilliard who came to me with an ostrigonum. This was a young lady who was somewhat resistant to any modifications that I would suggest. Her doctor called me and said that he really wanted to work on the rehabilitation of her without having to do surgery to that ostrigonum. I worked with her diligently for many, many weeks before she finally agreed to work with me a little bit on technique. And what I realized is that 
when she was up on point, she was winging and it was subtle, the wing. By changing the ankle placement, the placement of the talus, the subtalar joint, just by millimeters, she was able to train and go up on point without pain. When she realized she was able to do that, we began training. Oh, she trusted you then. She trusted me then. And so we just began training with that tiny modification. She ended up going back to Juilliard, finishing Juilliard, then dancing professionally for a couple of years. You know, and, and honestly, she ended up coming back with different issues. But at that point, I had established trust with her. So she was really willing to come back and just listen to the things that we would talk about. I'm not ever someone that forces my thoughts on someone. I really believe in trying to educate someone so they understand why, the process behind why I'm trying to train them and teach them differently. I also had a young dancer who had who came to me with a posterior tibial tendonitis. And she was a kid that would go up and relevate and constantly grip in the toe. So now we're dealing with someone who, she had flat feet, so she truly had a posterior tibial tendonitis. But she also had a flexor hallucis longus, flexor digitorum tendonitis from gripping in those toes. When I assessed her, she really used the bar way too much. So I established a program for her that was 15 minutes because many of these kids have difficulty. They have difficulty going to school, doing their schoolwork, going to dance. They get home late. It's hard for them to stout, do, be able to do the things that I suggest. What ages? What ages are we talking about? We're talking about the ages of 9 to 18, but it's the younger ones that truly have the issues. And in her case, I gave her that 15-minute program of foot strengthening, intrinsic foot strengthening, releves without gripping in her toes, without holding on to the bar. And per her mom, she has been doing really well since then, just with this tiny little program. It's five exercises. That's it. That's impressive. And you're always learning from your patients as well. I am always learning from my patients. And the one thing about the dance world that I can tell you is that the greatest gift I've had as a physical therapist is that I've learned all the things through my coursework and through school, but dancers every day teach me, oh, let me look at this. Let me take a look at that. Let me try this. And it's taught me to be very intuitive and to trust my instincts. And when a dancer says, my back hurts here, but the pain is here, go to that spot and see if that's actually contributing. And it may not be an area that I learned to treat in physical therapy school, but thanks to the dance world, I've learned to look many other areas to find a solution for them. And it's been such an incredible gift. Don't you find that dancers are some of the most sensitive of bodies? Yes, they know their bodies really, really well. And I appreciate that about them because I think they could teach the medical community an awful lot. <laughs> I completely agree. For those uh, medical community people that are listening, absolutely. Absolutely, because you know they many of them are right on board with the dancers, but for those, there are people in the medical community that tell dancers, if that hurts, just don't do it, don't dance. Well, <laughs> that's not an option for many dancers. You tell them to, to not dance. If they're in a show that's touring, that means not dancing for that night or that week and not getting paid. 
that means that maybe someone else at some point, if you're out for too long, is going to take over your spot. Right. And that's not okay. So you have to be able to give them the tools. You have to be able to give them ways that they can take care of themselves, whether it's through strengthening, stretching, uh, taping, wrapping, shoe modifications, whatever you can do. You have to be on their side. You have to be their advocate because sometimes when they're working for companies, you're their only advocate as a physical therapist. Yes, that's, that's beautifully said, Karen. Clearly, this is something I'm passionate about. For the non-dancers that are listening, I can think of a few right now. Do you have an exercise for the feet that is understandable for someone who may not even really know that they have 10 toes and know that they have an ankle joint and haven't really thought about their feet? For the non-dancer, you know, I treat a lot of plantar fasciitis, for example. What is that? Plantar fasciitis is when somebody has pain on the bottom of the foot. And typically it presents as pain when they first put their foot on the ground in the morning, when they first step on the ground and start to walk, they'll have pain on the bottom of their foot. Oftentimes plantar fasciitis is a combination of tightness on the bottom of the foot and tightness in the calf. For situations like that, I will often teach patients just calf stretches, you know, stretching out the, the calf itself with a straight knee, one foot behind the other, with a bent knee, so you're getting the gastrocnemius and the soleus, and then rolling the bottom of the foot out. I think those are all really helpful things for plantar fasciitis. What does that mean, rolling the foot out? Because some don't really, they've probably never put a ball underneath their foot and might think that's really weird. So using a roller to roll out the bottom of the foot, or I have these little pinky balls that are a little harder than a tennis ball, but a little softer than a lacrosse ball. I'll have them roll out their foot with that just to kind of make that tissue a little more supple because when it's really tight, it, it creates abnormal biomechanics in the foot and the ankle. So it's really important. For example, if the, if the calf is tight, when a person is walking and let's say their calf is tight, so it doesn't allow them to, I don't want to get too technical here. So let's just say the calf is tight. When they're walking, what's going to happen is it's going to cause the talus, the ankle joint to roll in. It's called early pronation. And if they are early pronators, that's what can contribute to things like pain in the metatarsals, posterior tibial tendonitis, pain over the first toe, because it's creating a abnormal biomechanics when the person is walking. So to the average population, I mean, there, there are definitely many exercises that I could show them, but it's really about identifying what do they need. So I could teach people generalized exercises, but I think it's important to see what each person's need is and then develop a program for, for them with, their, with respect to their specific needs. Would you say most people in general have tight calf muscles? Absolutely. So I think stretching on a daily basis with the, you know, one knee forward and slightly bent, the other leg back, heel on the ground, toes pointed straight forward, but you could have toes forward, you could turn out, you could turn in to get different parts of the calf, straight knee, so that gets your gastrocnemius, 
then bend the knee on that back leg so then it drops down more to the, where the Achilles is and so you're getting the soleus. I think doing that type of exercise is really good. Uh, with respect to the general population, things like double leg heel raises, going up and down on the toes through full range of motion because I often find that the calf becomes weak which affects their ability to push off and then do single leg heel raises. And if they can't do a single leg heel raise due to weakness, then to put a TheraBand around their foot and they can just push down on the TheraBand and up and work on the calf that way until they're able to go through. Sitting down, uh -huh. sitting down. Yep, sitting down. With the, legs, with the legs straight out in front of them. Sitting down with the legs straight out in front of them. Karen, has the pandemic altered your practice? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the first three months of the pandemic, as with most businesses, we saw very few patients. During that time, I educated myself on telehealth and then started doing telehealth visits with my patients virtually. So I was able to do evaluations as well as treatments through telehealth. It was quite a learning curve for me. And for yes, a new skill set, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And I had to get over not being able to measure range of motion or to do specific testing. I had to teach family members how to do the tests. So I knew that I wasn't going to get 100% of the result that perhaps I would get with a patient in person. But I was able to really work with a lot of young dancers, a lot of professional dancers. I had one dancer here who was in a show that had torn his uh, the labrum in his hip. And he went back to Florida during the pandemic. And I was able to completely do his prehab, all his strengthening exercises via telehealth prior to his surgery, which helped him recover post-op exceptionally well. Wow. And it was a lot of fun to just do it virtually. So uh, yeah, so telehealth was a really uh, a lifesaver for me and for many physical therapy practices. And you still do telehealth, correct? I still do telehealth for people that are not comfortable coming in. Uh, my practice has grown in the last year and a half, and so I do get referrals now from people that are either out of state or Northern California, so I'll do virtual assessments now with them uh, via, the platform I use is called doxy.me uh, or Zoom, either of those. Dancers and non-dancers. Dancers and non-dancers, both. How can people reach you right now when they're listening? They say, I need Karen as my advocate. They can contact us at my office. The number is 818-788-2544 or contact my staff via email. The email address is staff at Fusion Arts, and that's with an S, pt.com so staff at fusionartspt.com any specific questions that are directed toward me my staff could then forward their questions to my email address and I'd be happy to answer them your website is fusionartspt.com fusionartspt.com has a nice ring to it Karen thank you you're definitely coming back because I have so many more questions about the feet and really about not just biomechanics, but those of us perhaps who danced and now we're teachers of Pilates, we practice Pilates, are there contraindications? Are there exercises that 
those of us who learn from Ramana, are they as healthy as they can be? Or do we have to look outside of this classical approach and bring in other types of techniques so that the body is healthy while it is practicing? So we could discuss that as well. I'm sure you have a lot to say about that. Well, personally, I think that all disciplines, all methods can contribute to one another. I know that some methods of Pilates, some methods of physical therapy stay within their realm, but I really think that, you know, we need to be open to all the tools and be able to give the best that we can to our clients. And for myself, when I do an evaluation, let's say you come to me with a foot and ankle issue. I don't always just look at the foot and ankle. I really truly look all the way up the chain because oftentimes the dysfunction is in the hip that's contributing to abnormal biomechanics in the foot and ankle or particularly in the knee. A lot of knee issues happen from either problems in the foot or problems in the hip. Either way, you've got to look at it all. Which is what Joe Pilates said and Romana said as well. You have to look at the entire body and every exercise is a full body exercise. Well, and the greatest gift Pilates has given me is that as a physical therapist, I put someone on that reformer and I start working with them. And then all of a sudden they have a knee or foot and ankle issue. And I'm like, huh, something's going on in this area. Let me take a look at that. Oh, you have a limitation in your range of motion here. Let me address that. Put them back on the reformer and then things change. So Pilates is, I think, is one of the most, I've been using it for many, many years. And I think it's one of the most remarkable methods. Very remarkable. Aren't we lucky? We are really lucky. <laughs> well, we are lucky to have you, Karen. And thank you so much for your time today. Please come back, okay? Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate that. You're very welcome. I just love sharing this work, as you know, and equally love introducing you to my different students. Carol Lemaitre is today's featured student. She is a studio owner and co-founder of the Pilates Education Lab. Carol wanted to share a few words about my classes. I have only taken class with Darian online, but she is the real thing. Her knowledge and attention to detail is superb, and even online, you can't get away with anything. She'll kick your ass in the nicest possible way. All Things Pilates is created, edited, produced, and hosted by me, Darian Gold. Mastered audio mix by Fabian Romero. If you're interested in learning more about the Pilates system and how the mat and the apparatus relate to each other, I offer monthly apparatus classes for you to continue your Pilates education. I always welcome new students, especially those who are seekers of the deeper connections in the method that are just waiting for us to discover. For more information, please visit my website, dariangold.com. And until we meet again, you know I'm going to suggest you pay attention to your feet and maybe incorporate Karen's suggestions, like use your toes on an imaginary piano on the floor and perhaps play your own tune. 
See you in a couple of weeks with another episode of All Things Pilates.